We're here to share with you inspiring stories that bring to life all the little and big ways that people bring more love, joy, laughter, and humanness to everyday life. Our focus is the hunt for those little moments that refuel the human soul and reminds us what life is really all about. I invite you to sit back, enjoy the moments, enjoy the stories, the adventures, and the journeys. Welcome back to another episode of What the World Needs More of. My name is Jarek Robbins. I am your host for this journey of the soul. Today, I am here with a brand new friend, Manisha. Did I say that right? Absolutely. Nailed it. Ah, I give myself one point as a champion to start off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You have a beautiful name similar to mine. Some people have a challenge with it, but I'm glad we we started off on the right foot. So we're going to dive straight in to the question of the show which is, what do you believe the world needs more of? So, Jarek, I would say a more heartfelt, soulful definition of enough. Hmm. And I say that I'm 48. I've worked in financial services for 25 years. Um, I did my under my MBA at Harvard Business School. So I've been on kind of this Wall Streety track and it has really made me have an eagle eye view to greed, avarice, um, uh, just kind of think of every negative uh, adjective you want to put out there. I feel like um, I-, I have seen it through my professional line of work and what I real what I've come to see is that it is so easy to get trapped into the cycle of of more. And um, one, I, I've worked for two billionaires, um, and one kind of defining moment for me was after the 1999 um, Herb Allen Sun Valley Conference, this incredibly amazing self-made man with, with built a six, seven billion dollar fortune from nothing came back and and he was older at this point in his uh, mid sixties. And, and he was kind of depressed and he usually gets very energized by this conference. And I asked him what was going on. And he said to me, um, because of all the young whippersnappers in the, the, you know, late nineties and the internet pre bubble, um, that he had plain envy because all these young kids had, you know, the newest, newest. And I thought, Oh my God, here's a man with two planes, four full-time pilots, and he has plane envy. Like when, when is it ever enough? And so I've been fascinated with this, this topic. And I think so much of what's causing us pain and heartache as humans is instead of connecting with each other, we're, we're so external focused on more um, and that if we if we collectively tried to define what is enough, that the glue that holds us together as human might stick a little stronger than it is right now. Hmm. Hmm. I love that. Um, I'm, I'm, I've ran across something recently that changed a, a big perception. And my 
I have an interesting thought in this space, which is it's okay to go after more when the foundation is set right. If the foundation isn't set right, no matter how much more you go after, it'll never be enough. And I, I have an odd feeling what we're about to talk about together will help with understanding how to set that foundation right. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I was, um, I work in the wealth management industry, so I deal with very high net worth individuals. And one of the things I was talking with our CEO about recently was this notion, you know, he drew this pyramid and he drew like the foundation of wealth. And he said, what, what more money does is it amplifies who you already are. And so the key is, is to create the right foundation so that the amplification that comes with more is an amplification of something good and kind and loving. And, um, and, um, so yes, I couldn't agree more. The foundation. It's true. It's so very true. So very true. I'm going to jump into my next question so we get to know more about you. And then I want to circle back at that and the nuts and bolts and figure out if we can help people with specifics. Uh, but let, let's let's get to know you. What is What would you consider to be your wow factor? What makes you uniquely you? And what are some of the moments in life that help shape it? So broadly speaking, I would say that um, I've gone through these stages in life where early on in my 20s, I thought, early, early on, I thought things happened to me. Mm. And then I thought things happened by me when I was in my, you know, big go-go corporate years. Mm. And now as I approach 50, I'm realizing that things happen through me. It's more that I'm a vessel for the work or the message or whatever skills the universe has chosen to put through my body and soul. And so when I think about my, my wow factor, um, it's this triangle um, that has it, in my mind, which has been this mantra of mine for almost three decades now. It's a triangle that at the top says simplicity. In the lower left-hand corner says small joys. The lower right-hand corner says financial independence. And in the center is the word curiosity. And I wrote this on a cocktail napkin in 1991, um, flying back to the U.S. after having spent my junior year abroad at Oxford. And I grew up in a small town of like 25,000 people in Indiana. So it's not like I come from a fancy schmancy background. I had just happened to be second generation immigrant and um Indians, we are pushed hard on the education front. And so I did well in school and I got to go to these amazing places. And on my way back, I was reflecting like, what, what did I learn after a year at this unbelievably hallowed institution and how do I want to live my life? And, and that, that was what I jotted down. And, you know, at that time I'm like 20. Um, and every year since then at new year's, I, take a look at that framework and think, is there anything that I want to change? And the, the only change that I've made is the addition of the word curiosity in the center as I've gotten older. And I realized the importance of, 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 of listening and being present um, versus trying to constantly share my own thoughts and opinions. And 
so when I think about the wow factor, I would say it's just the way in which that mantra of simplicity, small joys, and financial independence has stayed with me yet evolved as I realize life doesn't happen to me and it doesn't happen by me. It's happening through me. Mm. Mm. I love that. It's powerful. It's powerful and it's true. I, I think that thing that you're describing, the evolution of self is something that's beautiful and takes place. I think something you also mentioned, which I'm experiencing right now, uh, I, I believe it's finals time somewhere in India because a lot of my friends on Instagram are hitting me up wildly overstressed in their yes. understudy. <laughs> and, and so I'm getting hit every day by, I'm depressed, sir. I'm overwhelmed. My parents are pushing me too hard. Yes. And I'm giving them simple tips. Three-minute ice-cold shower. Meditate. Breathe. Do a random act of kindness and be ready. And they're like, yes, sir, thank you. And they run back out. <laughs> they, these are little ones in you know, 12th grade, 11th grade. All. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I, I'm seemingly having a flood of them right now because of how hard they're being pushed. And I guess it is finals time. So I'm getting the whole experience of them. Well, Derek, there are parents all across India that are very grateful to you right now for keeping their kids sane and on course to take those finals. That's right. So we're, we're helping and hopefully they turn out beautiful like you and have an evolution of self and, and get to know that life is happening through them, not to them. And, and, and they have a part at some stage to help direct that, but they, they realize the beauty of it flowing through them. It's a very beautiful distinction. I, I love the triangle concept too, the simplicity, the small joys, the financial independence, and the curiosity that guides and leads it all. It's a very powerful description. It's something, if you're listening to this, you probably should draw out your own triangle and figure out what your three corners would be and what your center objective or center driving force would be in that. It's a beautiful description and, and an actionable, I think many people could use in their own life to figure out what's going to drive and guide them over time. Moving into our next question, what's a moment over the years that made you feel incredibly humble? Um... Gosh, I feel like there's so many of them. Um, I, I think I, I'm having a hard time splitting. There's one personal moment and there's one professional moment. Let's do both. Uh, the, the personal moment, and I'm going to cry as I say this, is um, I was in India. I was probably 18 years old. And... My grandfather had recently passed, and um, a small library, I mean, literally, it could have been no bigger than a 200 or 300 square foot room, um, had been set up in his honor in the local court um, uh, complex. And my grandfather grew up in a riverbed. He was an orphan. Mm. And he shined shoes for a man who saw his raw intellect and encouraged him and helped him. And my grandfather went on to sit on the state Supreme Court um, in Gujarat, the state where my family is from. And um, all through his life, he always he had a, a robust practice, but he always had a, a called it an FOC practice, a free of charge practice for people in need. And just to to and I can't emphasize enough, things have changed a lot in India. Things have democratized, but at the time he was 
um, doing all of this, it was a very hierarchical um, caste-based uh, system. And to come from the humble beginnings he did and to achieve so much that he would be honored despite not being of an elite um, caste uh, and the way that he had both this deep intellect and this deep um, set of caring values, I just, um, I just remember feeling so profoundly humbled s seeing that um, and just seeing the enormity of um, grit, determination, but also how it required the help of and kindness of so many others to make it out of that riverbed. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful and truly humbling. It, it, it is humbling to know that someone was able to do so much in starting with so little and, and do it in hopefully a kind way and a loving way, which it, for you to have this reflection, I'm guessing that was part of his spirit as well. Well, and I think the thing that humbles me the the most as I get older, speaking about how you, you reflect on things differently, when I was younger and much more in my ambition stage, I was very focused on his accomplishment, the rise from the riverbed to the state Supreme Court. As I get older, I'm humbled by the kindness of the man who he shined shoes for, who, you know, took a, a who who in a society where this was not a normal occurrence, um, at that time, it, of course, would be much more so now, um, help a, a stranger, somebody he just saw something in. And the kindness of this man and the ability of one person, who my grandfather stayed in touch with through his entire life, um, and uh, the, the kindness of this one person, it just shows that one person believing in you can make such a difference. So that's what I'm humbled by now. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And you said there was another moment in your professional life. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I've spent most of my professional life in the corporate world. And like a lot of people in the corporate world, you think um, I'm a good uh, entrepreneur. I'm, I, I've done extremely well at building out businesses within large corporate infrastructures. So in my mid-30s, I thought, well, I can do this on my own. And I, I – went to establish my own wealth management practice and I was horrible at it, Jarek. Like I, I just, um, I, psychologically I was not cut out to be an entrepreneur and it was just a very, um, professionally humbling moment to understand that, um, there are some things and skills that you can push yourself through discipline and, and grit and determination to learn. And then there are other things that they're just not part of your DNA. And when you try and push against them, it creates misery for you and everyone around you. Um, and uh, it, I, it was just a very, it was a professionally humbling moment, not just because it was, a failure and I ended up shutting the business down, but because it was this recognition that um, there are some limits in, 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 in life and in who you are. And that doesn't mean you are flawed or you can't do something. It means that you want to be really clear about what are the things that just psychologically don't put you in a state of good juju and flow 
and find other things to focus your your energies on or said slightly differently and it's, it's now a much more widely espoused concept but back then it wasn't rather than trying to fix your weakest weaknesses focus on your strengths and um it was humbling to me because back when i had that realization it was still in that gordon gecko greed is good era where it was the the general thought was you can fix your weaknesses I think there's something also that's going on in today's moment of history. Someone explained this to me a while ago, and just to reflect on and, and hopefully share something with the listeners, that someone shared to me, if you were in the U.S. back in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, the, the Hollywood dream that was being pitched and sold to everybody via television and radio and all this jazz was someday, if you were a boy, you can grow up and be a ball player like Joe DiMaggio, and maybe you know the, the, the women would grow up to be someone like a Marilyn Monroe kind of concept. And that was, not for everybody, but that was the Hollywood dream. If you fast forward the Hollywood dream in the 80s, it was the Gordon Gecko with the Ferrari who was on Wall Street. If you fast forward the dream again, eventually it, it's gone through recently the if you become a, an entrepreneur specifically in the tech space now you can really own the world um, and then more recently it's turned into if you argue with your sisters enough uh, you can also create a self-made billionaire moment in your life <laughs> 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 so the dream has changed once more but there was a segment there where everyone was if you really want to be something you got to be a tech entrepreneur um, or at least an entrepreneur, if not a tech one, like the tech somehow was the cream of the crop, but everyone else, yeah. at least the entrepreneur. And, and the truth is, um, another analogy that was shared that, that was amazing was the concept that if you took a, a sports franchise, just cause it's easy to understand, there's the entrepreneur and owner who's willing to risk everything just to keep the stadium full and the popcorn being sold and the jerseys getting picked up by, by customers and fans. There's the coach who's helping manage the team. And then there's the actual player on the court. And if you try to swap out any of those three people for the other position, things yeah. get wonky really fast. If you yeah. take Steph Curry and try to put him in the ownership position, you know, his $200 million that he got, it, it takes billions to run that team. And, and if he has to risk half of his paycheck, his entire paycheck every game, and if the stadium seats aren't filled, he's going to have a hard time focusing on the game. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, Steve Kerr, bless his soul, he doesn't make as much. Uh, but if he had to put 100% of his check up for grabs every game, hoping that the seats were filled, he wouldn't be able to focus on the team very much. Uh, Peter and Joe, who own the team, um, you know, if you put them on the court, I don't think they'd be able to shoot anywhere near as well as Steph. Uh, and, and, and so any of those positions, they're all needed to make that franchise work. And if you put the right people in the right position, everything flourishes. And uh, I don't see anything wrong with making 200 million bucks for playing basketball. Just as much <laughs> as hopefully Peter and Joe work out owning the team, they might make their couple hundred million. And bless Steve, he's, he already was a player, so he already earned something for that. Yeah. But he's doing great as a, as a, you know, as a coach there. And, yeah. and every position has its power. I think for just for people listening, the, the humbling experience you had um, might be a time for them to say, hey, you know, if you're listening to this, where is your power? How do you, as, as you've just said, how do you play to your greatest strength? And how do you realize every position matters? If you take any of those three away from the team, the whole thing falls apart and crumbles. If you have all three people in the right position, everything magnifies and grows and, and being comfortable and being happy and excited to be in your position is is also a, a, a not a concept that's celebrated right now <laughs> yeah yeah 
Um, every position has its power. I love that. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to adopt that as one of my mantras. It's beautiful. It's so true. It's so true. Here, here's one. We talked about a humble moment, which thank you for being so open and sharing. What about an awe-inspiring moment? A moment that just brought you to a moment of awe. Jaw hit the ground. You're just like, wow. Again, you know, it, it's interesting to me how differently I would have answered this question at different stages. Um, but for me, it was when my um, firstborn nephew came home um, from the hospital. He was born at just under two pounds. And it, um, he was in the NICU for um, seemingly forever. And um, today he is a bright, bubbly six-year-old boy. And I am in awe of the miracles of modern medicine and um, the amazing nurses and technicians and doctors and the whole um, uh, universe of people that have to come together to provide care for a new life that's in such a tenuous situation. And um, when I think back to how small he was, he could like fit in my hand. Um, and now I, I watch him read me goodnight stories. I, I just find um, that kind of miracle unbelievably awe-inspiring. Um, and so th that I would have to say at this stage in my life is um, an example of the kind of thing that just blows me away. Hmm. So beautiful, so beautiful and so true. It, it's really incredible modern medicine. I've had my bouts back and forth with it. Um, I, I, I had a bout of malaria when I was living in Uganda teaching organic farming, and I chose to try to meditate and vegetable juice my way out of it. Not the brightest thing in the world, um, but thank God for modern medicine for stepping in and helping me heal. Uh, but it, it's those moments of seeing such a precious life, so small and so fragile, yet so resilient, are well, and very inspiring. And Jack, you, 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 you bring up a really good point. I had dengue fever after a visit to Laos mm -hmm. and um, I almost died. I was in and out of the hospital for two months. And um, what I realized as I was researching that like malaria, it's um, not a fun thing to have. No. Um, and um, it, they call it breakbone fever. And the reason I would argue that we don't have a better a preventative solution or even uh, a uniform standard of care around treating dengue fever, which literally hits, you know, several hundred million people a year is that most of the people it hits earn, you know, $2 a, a day or less. Okay. And um, recently I saw that um, dengue fever has um, started to hit um, uh Oh my gosh, now I'm having a senior moment. Um, fancy, fancy um, Caribbean island where all, where like all the wealthy hedge fund managers um, go. St. Martin? Yes. Um, and so as or it. Turks and Caicos? Um, is at all of that. So as it starts spreading into Turks and Caicos, et cetera, um, St. Martin, um, St. Bart's, 
um, that as soon as a hedge fund manager gets dengue fever, um, some pharmaceutical company will be working on um, a way to help to help other people. And so um, it just it, uh, it re reminds me as well how lucky we are. It's just a fluke of luck that we were born into a first world environment and not a third world environment. If I had gotten dengue fever and I actually lived on a farm in Laos and I was responsible for my family's livelihood and I had to be on bed rest for four months, which is what happened, um, my family would have starved. And so it's, uh, I I'm, uh, that's just something else that has really um, uh, moved me. Um, I'm with you. It also connects to, again, a moment of awe. This, just the feeling of, wow. And and those feelings can be positive and beautiful, just like the, you, you, your little little one who came out and he was so fragile yet so resilient, made it through. And those moments can also be what you just described, where you look at a situation and, and it puts you in a state of awe, not necessarily yeah. the most positive one, but no. how in the world is that still happening? Right. And, and to realize, you know, the miracle that of, of the birth lottery system that somehow either our karma worked or, or, or just how it worked out that we were born a human and, and a human in a place with a lot of abundance around us. And we didn't happen to be pop out and land up as a tree somewhere right uh, right like, it's pretty amazing when that happens I, I think it was deepak or someone said 60 something percent of our dna is the exact same as a banana so it's pretty <laughs> wild that the rest of it turned out in our favor and we became humans and can do all the things we can do um and and you know i hope horses and cows think the same thing and they're like hey it's pretty cool to be a cow huh yeah right. we could have been a human and had to do what they have to do like, i i hope i don't know but power I, I, in every position yeah I, I hope in whatever position they're in, they find the same joy and, and, and humor and fun and silliness in it. Um, here's a question. What about, what about your greatest fear? Um, my biggest fear, um, I am bipolar two and, um, I, Is there a my bipolar one, um, there's bipolar so that would be essentially bipolar one, which is um, the most extreme form of bipolar. So mental health issues exist along a continuum. Um, and you can think about depression and anxiety on, on one end, which sometimes can be situational. Mm -hmm. um, we have an epidemic of situational depression and anxiety. Some is uh, chemical, and then it kind of spreads down the spectrum to bipolar two, which used to be called manic depression, um, bipolar, um, which is what was historically treated with um, lithium and electroshock therapy and, and sometimes even lobotomies and then schizophrenia. Um, and so there's this range. And um, I uh, struggled with mental health issues for 25 years until finally getting a proper bipolar two diagnosis. Um, and that's a whole nother subject about navigating the mental health system. One out of three people struggle with mental health issues and um, how you get the right answer is um, a maze that does not need to be as complex as it is. But I, I live in fear of the meds that are helping me live a normal life um, not working anymore. 
Um, it's the odds of it are exceptionally slim, but having um, lived with Star Wars in my head for so many decades and now experiencing what it's like to have a clear and normal functioning brain, mm. um, my biggest fear is going back to that place. Mm, I see it. I, I see it. I have family members who struggle with that. And what's interesting, I was doing research and the most interesting thing I ran across was it was an article written called The Shamanic View of Mental Illness. And it was an East African shaman mm -hmm. who it says, what those in the West view as mental illness, the Dagara people regard as good news from the other world. The person going through the crisis has been chosen as a medium for a message to commute to the community that needs to be communicated from the spirit realm. Mental disorder, behavioral disorder, all kinds are signals that the two obviously incompatible energies have merged into the same field. The disbalance as a result is the person does not get assistance dealing with the energy from the spirit realm. It, it was really interesting. They took a, a young, I believe it was a young man who was deeply in, in bipolar states. Mm -hmm. that the, the, the Western world was, was medicating and, and trying to to use all these different ways of healing. They took him for two years into this tribe and they did energy healing and, and energy releases and, and cared for him and talked to him. And after so many years, it's worth a read. Um, after so many years, he, he came back, uh, went to graduate school, graduated and has been fine ever since. You know, it's interesting. I, I, um, I, I've just it, never seen anything like that before I read it. <laughs> well, and, and I think it begs the question, um, of how much of, I, I hesitate to say this because I feel like there's a, uh, th those of us who have, um, extreme, um, mental illness that has put us at the edge that has put us mm -hmm. in that place where mm -hmm. we're, we're suicidal. Yep. Um, and, um, where we literally are not in control control it's like there's star wars going on in our brain yep. um it uh, obviously these conditions have existed for years and big pharma has not so there's been a wide range of ways that people have treated this mm -hmm. but for a long time um one of those ways was institutionalization right. and um you know i think my grandmother was institutionalized and had electroshock therapy and no no one talked about it back then and it tends to run through matriarchal um lines mental health issues not always but but often um but at the other end of the spectrum I do have to wonder because a big part of my self-care regimen, in addition to the right cocktail of of medicines, which is a whole nother story of, of how, you know, there's not a blood test to measure mental illness. We know what works for you by trial and error. Mm -hmm. um, but that part of the meds alone are not enough to keep me afloat. If I do not have human connection like uh, if i do not have the daily nourishment of soul of having um interaction at a heartfelt level with other people if i do not do yoga if i don't meditate if i don't eat clean if i don't sleep any one of those things can throw me back into the spiral the meds keep me from i think it's about it as a, a freeway the meds keep me from either in a mania state or in a depression state of jumping off the rails 
um, when I do all of the, the, the self-care, some people might call that healing energy work, um, that keeps me in the middle lane. And when that goes, I start weaving across the road. So I can see as somebody who feels that I do need um, uh, antipsychotics, which is what I, what I am on in order to function, that medicine alone is not enough. And then the last thing I'll just say is there's a fabulous new book that has just come out um, called Lost Connections, which explores this issue of why we're having an ep epidemic of um, depression and anxiety, particularly cases that are situationally induced and, and what are the various causes. And the bottom line is basically uh, modern society, the lack of connectedness um, and the, the lack of um, a lot of these more holistic type um, ways of helping people flourish no matter um, what kind of brain chemistry they have. Um, and actually, I'll say one last thing about this, Jerk, only because I feel like mental illness is something that we just don't discuss enough. And um, for years, I wouldn't talk about it because who wants somebody, you know, investing their money who is, quote, crazy. So um, now that I'm in a place where I feel more that I'm the vessel for the message, I want to, to be a voice for mental health issues. And um, one of the things you said early on, I think is very, very true. There, there's always silver linings. And one of the things that I've noticed is how many hyper creative people struggle with mental health issues. And so, um, the beautiful saying you started off with, I think is, is very true, um, across societies. It's, it's very true. It's very true. Uh, I, I think there's more and more coming out about it. Ray Dalio, who's in the financial world, yeah. uh, his son made a movie about it. Um, I think it's called Chasing Fire or Into Fire or Holding yeah. Fire. Um, I apologize on the name. If you Google Dalio, Dalio and uh, movie, I'm sure his son's film will come up. Um, but but it, it's something that is being discussed more and more. And I think as we look at more and more different ways of healing, you start to see more and more paths that, that lead to that space. It's the one thing that I've always learned and, and been reinforced from family members and friends, which is if you go to a butcher, they're going to want to chop. If you go to a right. psychiatrist, they're going to want to pill it. If you go to a psychologist, they're going to want to talk it out. Uh, whoever you go to will, will apply their specialty because that's what they believe works. Um, the one thing that Ray talks about in his book, which was one of the most brilliant things, is he had some form of cancer and he went to a specialist and the specialist said, oh, we got to operate. and We got to get this out immediately. Otherwise, you're going to die. He said, wait a minute. He called up another specialist and the other specialist says, there's no way you should operate. The operation will kill you. And, <laughs> and he said, OK, why don't you two get on the phone together and let's talk this out. He put both specialists together. And immediately both backed down slightly from their one-sided mm. point of view and started creating a third point of view, which was the one that landed up saving him and, and everything worked out great. Um, well, for listeners, I thank you for the idea of Googling. I did that really quickly. It's Paul Dalio's um, film is Touched with Fire. Touched with uh, Fire. I knew there was a fire in there. Well, and, and what you just described, Derek, is, is again, the beauty of connection, right? You, yes. you um, polarizing views put together in a room can cook up together, um, if there's kindness in your heart, some really innovative answers. Yes. I, 
I, I believe so many of us get put in a position where you go see a doctor or a specialist and whatever they say turns out to be our diagnosis and, and we're there. And, and I've learned time and time again from some of the best and brightest in different fields, always bring together a few opinions and a few minds. Yeah. Hopefully they have the great heart that you mentioned with a lot of love. Uh, not all do, but hopefully if you pick them right, they will and let them bake up that third option for you because that third option many times can be the game changer um, because one thing isn't always right, no matter who it's from. And, and I, I've heard everything works some of the time, nothing works all the time. So make sure you always have options in those spaces and, and, you know, have a, a, an alternative option too, in case the, the standard option didn't necessarily your path. But I, I think the thing we might be hitting on here is the question things search for answers really yeah allow yourself to be curious going back mm -hmm. to the middle of your triangle there be curious allow yourself to question allow yourself to go beyond just whatever the standard response is and and i have many friends who are doctors they're beautiful and wonderful people who are dedicated to helping people heal but you got to remember they were trained in a room with a group by a book and a teacher just like all of us whoever took a class on any other topic and it doesn't mean there's not more answers out there. And if right. you can find someone who's also willing to be curious with you, it's a beautiful journey you can embark on with that medical professional where you can find answers that might not have existed before these three or four people came together and you questioned something and searched yes. for more. Um, another friend of mine gave me an insight that was very fascinating that goes along with this. He's one of the top podiatrists in the country. His mom came and had an organ cancer. I think it was pancreatic. It's, it's one of them that are deadly according to the stats online it's a 90 something percent chance of death if you get it and it was like oh that's crazy and mm -hmm. he because he's a doctor himself he questioned it he researched it and what he found out it is at most hospitals it's a very high death rate but at a couple hospitals specifically one in new york city it's an extremely low mortality rate and when he questioned why, because there was a specialist who actually figured something out that was amazing at doing the operation and world-class situation, and it had like less than a 30% or 20% mortality rate with this person in dealing with it. And so what he recommended me when my mother was ill was really do your time to yeah. research who the best in the world at handling this is and read the research around it, not just the findings, but the actual report. Because what you might find is that in most places, it's incurable, it's too hard, it's such a big obstacle. But in some places it may not be. And if you go to those some places which happen to have some really amazing specialists, you can watch things heal. Um, but, it, but again, it goes right back to the middle of your triangle, curiosity, asking questions. What else could this mean? Where else or who else could be helpful in this? And if you're willing to keep digging, which is very hard to do in stressful moments like that. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> we're looking for certainty from anywhere. <laughs> like if a butterfly flies by twice, we might think something good's about to happen in those moments. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it's true. We're just looking for certainty because we feel shook a little. Our, our, the foundation of who we are is being shaken up, and therefore we, we have a, a need for certainty. We want to feel someone to look us in the eye and say it's going to be okay. And, and so we're hunting for those moments. But if you can go back to that triangle and stay curious, that centerpiece that you've mentioned, that'll allow you to find real answers and not just settle for, you know, the first surface response from someone, no matter how good they are, no matter how much they care, no matter how uh, many degrees they have and how you know, much they've earned or learned along their way, really, truly stay curious and keep hunting and keep searching. Here's a question. What are you most excited about for your future? 
you know, I um, am about to launch for my day job, bizarrely, um, a a podcast called True Wealth, and it's wealth spelled W-E-L-L-T-H. And the underlying premise um, is that after years and years of watching and helping very wealthy individuals manage their money um, and having a very strong pro bono um, component to our firm's history, um, our CEO has just seen over and over again, no matter what level of income you have in your life, if you're the way you spend your time and the way you spend your money is not in alignment with what matters most, you are not happy. And that the skill set of learning how to identify what tweaks, small tweaks or radical reboots you need to make in your life to make your time and money in alignment with what matters is a skill that we're not taught. And importantly, the, you, you need to get the what matters right too. So you need the skills to, to figure out the alignment, the tweaks to make the alignments, but you also have to align towards the right thing. And what matters most will change at different points in, in your life. And so um, it's the curious exploration of that concept that is exciting me um, the most just from the standpoint of um, hearing stories of both people who have made the, the tweaks and the pivots um, and also from the experts that have insights to contribute to help people with each of those different pieces of the tweaks and pivots. Mm. Mm. And again, that's True Wealth Podcast. True Wealth Podcast and wealth is W-E-L-L. T-H. I like that. I like that. I'm looking forward to hearing it myself. So we're going to switch gears. Second segment of our show. We call this one the nuts and bolts. This is the tactical, tangible, practical, applicable type of advice kind of segment where if people are listening and they want to immediately apply something uh, they could take away from this, which there's plenty they've already picked up, or at least I've written down. I have about a page of notes over here so far. So thank you for sharing so much. Um, but our first question in the nuts and bolts section, which is where, what do you currently focus the majority of your thoughts and time and life on each day as of right now? So right now I spend the vast majority of my time reading articles about personal finance and investing. Um, I'm just passionate about the topic and, and in particular helping women um, achieve economic independence. But one of my new mantras, um, and this is my, my mantra for 2019, is garbage in, garbage out. Um, it's one of the things I was first taught in business school in building spreadsheets. Um, and I'm realizing it's very true with what you put in your body. And in 2019, I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm thinking about it in terms of what I want to put in my mind. And I realize I've been way too narrowly focused um, on putting um, into my mind financial related concepts. And so my new goal is to read two books a month um, on topics that I know absolutely nothing about um, in the nonfiction space. Hmm. I love it. I love it. Here's a question. 
in this, both reading and learning from the articles and filling your mind with goodness so that goodness in, goodness out factor takes place, what is the key to your success in this? I think it's connection. Um, I, I would have said curiosity, but curiosity without connection um, doesn't lead you anywhere. Um, and so if I've learned one thing over, over my life is n n no one does anything alone. And that's where the old, it takes a village adage comes from, cause it's true. Um, and so I, I think connection, um, and, and that can be to self, it can be to others in your orbit. It can be to a broader group, to community. It can be to the, the future of our planet as an entirety, but to look through the lens of any of this without, um, including, or, or maybe the, the, the frame of the lens is, is, um, connection the the glass of the lens is is curiosity but the frame um is connection that's how i'm thinking about it mm, very nice very nice and here's a here's our final question what's one actionable tip that can help others or achieve or experience the kind of success in their life that you've created in yours oh without a doubt having what i call um uh, what's a, uh, uh I, I call them grazing conversations and I need to come up with a better word. Um, but you know, we're talking cows are, are, are entities with a purpose. Um, so maybe, maybe that's the right, the right name, but I think about it as conversations where you are deliberately trying to meet with, you know, pick your time frame, two new people a month. And your goal solely is to hear their story without any agenda on on where they're going or what you might get out of it. And I'm realizing that's exactly what people are doing when they're listening to your podcast, Jarek. And, and the reason I think this is such a powerful pattern is I have found that it, it takes me um, – it combines all of the different pieces. It, it adds human connection. It enables curiosity. It enables learning. It enables new points of worldview. It, it, it creates um, empathy. It creates gratitude. And so, so many things can come out of these grazing conversations. And so, um, you know, you start with a few people you know, and then they enjoy the conversation. You ask them, is there anyone else you think I should talk to? And then pretty soon your, your, your orbit gets larger and larger and larger. And so you're talking to people that you never would have been connected to on your own. Um, and I've done this over years and it's been a really fascinating practice and it's fun. Mm, I love that. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing so much of you and everything that you're up to with us. If people would like to come and learn more, to connect with you, uh, to read more about your work or, or find your podcast, is, is there a specific site or set of sites we can send them to? Absolutely. My home base is one site. Everything's all there, and it's called Money Zen, M-O-N-E-Y-Z-E-N.com. Very nice. It's Money M-O-N-E-Y-Z-E-N dot com. I love it. Very nice. Well, again, thank you for having us. Or I'm sorry. 
And again, thank you for coming to join us here. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Well, and Jarek, thank you for all that you do and bringing these kinds of conversations, um, heartfelt, soulful, authentic, um, into the world. Oh, so very welcome. And for everyone who's tuning in, if you listen to this and you know someone who needs to hear it, a friend, a colleague, uh, someone around you, uh, we believe that sharing is caring around here, so make sure to share it with them. And I very much look forward to seeing you all next episode. 